If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hey, hello, and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. Today's conversant is Zach Elliott, who is a unassuming man somewhere in the middle of America. He uh, appeared on my timeline on Twitter speaking to the reality of biological sex. He's made several videos on this matter that are bite-sized, excellently produced, and quite informative over on the Paradox Institute YouTube web channel, or sorry, just YouTube channel. And he's also the author of several books on this matter. And I wanted to speak to him about his work and his beliefs and his thoughts on all things under the sun. So that's what we dive into in this conversation about faith and science and gender and sex. So without further ado, here is Zach Elliott. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Zach. <laughs> How are you? Um, I'm good, but I'm wondering, that's not molecules behind, I mean, it is molecules, but it's a very specific uh, formation of molecules. Yeah. That's called a chemical, yeah. right? Yes, chemicals. Yeah. Man, chemical know. compound. <laughs> oh, a compound. It's Oh, it's yeah. got to be carbon. It's got to be carbon-based, right? Def- yes, carbon-based. The black is, is what... carbon. Okay. So I did this actually in a, it was sophomore year of high school and it was like for a chemistry project and we had to pick a, a molecule. Well, actually we were given a molecule and we had to, to make like a 3d representation of it. So my dad and I just went to like Hobby Lobby. We got a bunch of like little balls with holes and then dowels and then put those together. And it's, this one's uh, this chemical or this compound it's called ferrosamide. And it's apparently a a water pill that people take. Like it's like a type of drug that helps you. I think it helps you like urination. Okay. It's a diuretic. (laughs) Diuretic. Yeah. I noticed that some of the carbon bonds are double. What what does that mean? I'm not a chemist. Double carbon bonds. I'm not sure. Okay. We, we made it here. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> You're probably popping a lot of philosophies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh my god! In chemistry, this was like in chemistry too, and it was. Uh, I did not like chemistry at all. I was just. I mean, I did like parts of it, like the, like the, equations that you would do, like combining compounds and then seeing like, what compounds it would make. But, but, um, hmm. I always, I always had an interest with more with biology for sure than chemistry and isn't there like a biological chemistry or biochemistry what's that called Mm -hmm. biochemistry i think yeah okay good yep (laughs) and but your your attention doesn't land on anything below the functioning organism like the like organisms are cool with you anything like yeah below that below that below that not not really like with because I don't know, just the inorganic stuff didn't really interest me that much. I, I always thought that like systems 
of organisms and like how they're put together and how all those systems interact is really fascinating. Um, and there's, there's so many levels of analysis that you can go through on organisms and then up to the species level. And then you can keep going and look at populations and it's just, it's really fascinating. Ecologies. And ecologies. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see how like patterns that you see on the small scale and and like just the interactions of cells can then apply to bigger, bigger scales too. So, but does that uh, pair downward into the chemistry or is that kind of almost a different language going on? Yeah, I think it's, I would say it's probably a slightly different language, but obviously the, the laws of physics all has to still abide apply in this, yeah. and abide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but but something about biology just always really fascinated me. Are you a fan yeah. of uh, the uh, once great theorist Charles Darwin? Uh, I didn't. I haven't done much like research on him. I mean, I I know some basic things, but okay. I'd I'd say he wasn't. He's just kind of like not in my okay. wheelhouse. So but evolution itself, though, that's, that was the real question. Evolution, yeah, evolution itself is really fascinating. Um, I, I actually grew up in a Christian household. And so, and I also went to a private Christian school. Uh, it's okay. it probably like non, non-denominational. Okay. Um, and my parents were very open to, okay. to science and like, okay. and very like evidence-based. And we love talking about our beliefs, but also in the context of science, talking about science too. Like, uh, I would talk to my dad a lot about just like, um, I talked to him about evolution and like the history of the earth and, and how we both didn't believe that the earth was created 6,000 years ago and that stuff. (laughs) Like there are many people who, who, um, were in my school who, who did believe that the earth was, was created 6,000 years ago. And it was more fundamentalist type beliefs, but, but ours were always more just exploratory and we were always very curious in my family. So, um, I was definitely raised in that more curious, exploratory, <laughs> open to open to scientific things, and so and most people, most people don't know that on Twitter about me. <laughs> that was, Which part? That I have that Christian background. Yeah. But but yeah, it's it's something that I think you don't have to like integrate them all the time. I think they're definitely separate things. Like Christianity, it's you know it's it's a theological, philosophical belief system religious belief system and then scientific things, you know, they're, they're separate. It's more about the material world. And, and I know there can be some overlap with that, but, but it's important in scientific endeavors to definitely keep that separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, uh, did evolution knock you over the head when you first came across it? A little. Yeah. Like, like the thought of, there's this thought in Christian circles of that's so wrong to think that we were, we, we came from apes and, and things like that. Uh, but as I learned more about evolution, I realized that's not the correct way of looking at it, you know, cause evolution works in branches and you have major branches and you have some species that branch off to the side. Um, it doesn't mean that we're just derived from, from chimps or, and it, there's certain lineages that go back. Yeah, we have yeah, common yeah. lineages, but yeah. there are but cousins. it's not that straight. They're cousins, yeah, yeah. 
yeah and same with same with things like just sexual reproduction it's it goes back in lineages and there's branches where some branches go off in a different way and then they go extinct maybe that form of reproduction doesn't stay and then that branch can that big main branch continues down so once i learned that that made a lot more sense um a lot more sense than just thinking that we came straight literally from from apes yeah um, god one day god looked at an ape and shaved it and then yeah then here's a human <laughs> slapped a shaved, name on it called you gotta shave the jawline and you gotta just do a lot of work on the forehead and <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah um like i also i also took a few bible classes in high school where like we actually did look at evolution we looked at macro and micro evolution to understand the difference and a lot of christian circles they they look at the they are interested in the difference between macro and micro and a lot of christians don't believe in macro which is like species level evolution they believe in like my like more minutiae like evolution between organisms genes and genes and yeah like random mutations like but a lot of them don't believe in the macro evolution, which what would be the macro? I do. It's macro would be just, I guess, species to species and especially like big, big changes over time between, between species. Um, mm -hmm. Macro would be, for example, primate to human. So, so they would believe that humans were created out of, out of nothing, basically not from an existing species and just kind of like popped into existence maybe still obviously made from the material of of matter obviously but hmm. but not like evolved naturally over time but over time like as i grew up and i i was interested in evolution i i didn't believe that i always i always just thought that you know i thought that micro and macro evolution were both true things that we can observe and that that we were descended from common ancestors but um I, I yeah i definitely think those are real things and how do you reconcile that with a uh, some sort of intentional creator i think i thought about that too it's a good question <laughs> like and i i've listened to a lot of a lot of stuff on that and i i really think that i don't think they're incompatible at all i think that you can have a intentional creator who oversees the universe who designed physical laws to act in a certain way to uh, bring about whatever purpose that this creator sees fit and then i think that there's some interaction with like intentional design with those natural processes it's not something we can really know ever 100 percent we can't really ever explain it but i think that like just with the overwhelming complexity of creation the overwhelming complexity of the universe and organisms um i just really do think that like i can't imagine it just all forming from the beginning with no designer <laughs> at all or no creator just because no you cause. get to the problem yeah no cause because you get to the problem of of where like where did the universe begin where did all that matter come from um and then you get into well what about 
what what if there's multiverses and things like that like mm-hmm. or which is almost like their simulation. own god yeah just we're, we're just in a simulation yeah which is like weird those explanations are all all metaphysical explanations and god would also be a, a metaphysical explanation so hmm. yeah evolution itself is very humbling or maybe even humiliating to my pride in a way uh, when I, you know, I didn't really pay much attention to it. I just didn't catch my attention until uh, I ended up being in cahoots with an evolutionary biologist. And then I started looking <laughs> into this stuff and, uh, you know, with Brett, Do- yeah, with Brett Weinstein. And then, um, you know, I read Dawkins, uh, the selfish gene, I think it was his mm-hmm. thing the first big one. It just, it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> The accidental, just this, like when you go, when you do the thought experiment, you know, I think he does this, like at Mm -hmm. some point there was just waves, there was an agitation and these molecules, you know, going from that language, from the molecule up to the organism. And then Mm -hmm. he puts everything into the selfish gene, which is just this vehicle that replicates itself. And then it just keeps on playing around and then figures out different mm-hmm. ways of replicating itself. And then you have genes inside of genes, you know, with the mitochondria and like the different cells mm-hmm. forming. It's like mm-hmm. you have these different chemicals binding into semi-organisms that work together to form an organism. And then they rely on all these other processes. It's just so incredibly complex just on that level, just like on a single cell. Mm-hmm. How would a single cell come to be? And then mm-hmm. you get, and, you know, I was when I was, I was listening to the audiobook with them um, of Dawkins and I, I was just driving and you just see trees and then the moss on the trees and then the animals and the birds and all this stuff. And you're just looking at this huge system and you're like, this just kind of happened. Like, that's really <laughs> scary. It just kind of yeah. happened. And so whenever I get a chance to talk to Brett and we get into this conversation, like I just look into the depth and I just am overcome with kind of like awe or humility mm-hmm. because you can't really explain why mm-hmm. to it. The why either has to be, uh, fiction or some sort of trick of the consciousness that you explain away the question by explaining away the questioner saying, oh, well, the consciousness is just kind of something that rides on top of it. And you kind of just make this weird mm-hmm. physical or metaphysical leap away from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being a human to being a cultured human or a mimetic thing. And mm-hmm. then the questions and rationality, and all that stuff goes out. But it's just, yeah. I can't really ever get my head around it. I can't. I can't either. I've always been in awe of, of that, like looking at the like you described, like in ecology and all the complexity and then all the layers and how they all interact together to maintain this system, this ecological system. And, and then, like you said, down to the cellular level, how one cell has all these different components to make it work and survive. And it's just, it is overwhelming. Like I, I, I went, I did a, a pre-AP bio in high school and it was a big textbook and you could just go in so much detail down to the cellular level and like it's it's just overwhelming there's just so much so much it's a never-ending field to learn yeah. like yeah and gives oh, me kind of like a, so a vert- vertigo because just it's so darn complex mm-hmm. i'm like okay and then i think mm-hmm. that i'm being complex when i make a clever sentence like no like <laughs> I'm a simpleton, you know, it's very, again, humbling and yeah. humiliating. Yeah, that's true. And it's fascinating to hear like people like Richard Dawkins, how they think and versus, 
you get where Brett Weinstein, he, he seems more, uh, he seems more nuanced about it than, than Dawkins. Like, uh, I'm not really a hundred percent sure on his beliefs regarding, uh, more intentional design versus evolution. I know, I know he's more agnostic that w- that way, closer to Dawkins, but not the same as Dawkins. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really fascinating. Like those, those different belief systems. Um, and I found myself really, really aligning with definitely not, definitely not creationism at all. Never really related to that. Well, the, that simple story of uh, you know, the night and the day and the good and mm-hmm. the birds and the fields and the man and the woman and the rib and the fruit and the stuff. Mm-hmm. I, that story, I was so fascinated with Genesis in mm-hmm. high school. And I was fascinated with like, first of all, why do people believe that this story tells you that the earth was made in 6,000 years, right? Why do people interpret it that way? And so I did a lot of research on Genesis 1, and I wanted to understand like the historical context of, of when that was written and what they were trying to really communicate. And it was more about kind of, it was more of a spiritual or poetic type story, really focusing on who God is and his relationship to creation and creation's relationship to God. And I noticed that in, in the old Hebrew, uh, the days in Genesis don't have to mean a literal 24 hour day. Mm-hmm. And there's good evidence that they actually meant just periods of time. And they wanted to use the, the day to mimic the seven-day or the the six-day work week that was good for humans. And then they were writing that because they wanted to show God like setting an example, basically, mm-hmm. for humans. Yeah. And that, I think, is a more realistic explanation of that, of that story. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that, too, like the order, or the order of, of when those certain elements were created, like animals and plants and and birds and fish like those that order matches up with evolution which is really really interesting just yeah like it talked about how the earth was just covered in water and it was all ocean and then in evolution you see that in looking back in geological history you look at and see that the earth was mostly a water world and covered in water and then uh, most of life originated you know in in water and and then you start to get plants there and fish and over time over long periods of time long 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 periods of time, periods of time. longer than a few days yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's one yeah. one th- block to really understanding evolution is because i don't think we can really comprehend time we can uh, we can comprehend we can kind of comprehend like 10 billion years or some long chunk mm-hmm. like some number but we can't really comprehend like all of the time inside of that time and all of the time that it took, like how patient, if there is a God, mm-hmm. he's very patient. Mm-hmm. Like unbelievably yeah. patient. <laughs> yeah. Like the human brain cannot. No, comprehend. we cannot comprehend that. No. Like when I hear billions of years, time frame, even millions of years, even hundreds of thousands of years, it's like, I cannot, I cannot comprehend that. Yeah. And we don't think that way at all. We just think in really short time spans, especially, especially in this day and age. Yeah. But, but yeah. 
So you came out swinging on Twitter a couple of years ago. When when did you debut? Mm-hmm. When was your debut time? It was it was like January 2020. Soiree. Wait. My soiree, it, yeah. It was just 2020? Or 2020, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I thought it was like 2018. Mm-hmm. I've been on Twitter before, but it wasn't really it wasn't I wasn't posting anything. I had like a I had an anonymous account and it was mainly just uh, me either following politics or gaming and so that didn't that was never like a public account though mm-hmm. but but once i um once i got into the sex and gender stuff that's when i wanted to start posting about it and so i rebranded that that account so it's still my old account actually that i mm-hmm. had since like 2014 but but rebranded it and i wanted to show my face i wanted to show my name i wanted people to know who i was i didn't want to be anonymous and i i just wanted to talk about sex and gender. I wanted to um, produce resources and information that could help combat a lot of the misinformation that we see with sex and gender today, specifically the gender ideology. And we can get all into that, but that was my debut in January, 2020. What first clued you in and put the bug in your bonnet about this? (laughs) It was, I think, well, it was mostly, actually it started like in, it started in January, not January, it started in um, the summer of 2017. And it was around the time that I was uh, I was watching Jordan Peterson and watching his stuff on sex differences. I was really, really fascinated with his talks on personality psychology. I watched his like entire lectures on personality psychology. But he did Great stuff, yeah, and it's excellent, yeah. Frum- it's frumpy, really uh, frumpy Professor Peterson is my favorite Peterson. <laughs> frumpy Professor Peterson. <laughs> Somebody made like great, great. Uh, oh my gosh, you know the Freedom Tunes people? They yeah. made an excellent, an excellent like parody of Jordan Peterson. But they were they're they they're on like his they're on his uh, his side, so to speak. Like they're not against him, but they they make excellent parodies of of him um just animated parodies and they have a voice actor that does just an excellent job of mimicking jordan peterson and it, <laughs> it's great but yeah um i was watching those and then around that same time the james Demore memo hmm. happened and that caught my eye because i was like i had always been interested in biology i'd always been interested in and also like males and females and what the differences were and like what what uh made up males and females hmm. how males and females were different on a physical level on a personality level uh on a behavior level and also understanding the variation within both males and females hmm. and when that memo came out i i read that whole story and i read the memo and i was like why is he getting just absolutely destroyed so to speak like his livelihood taken away why why are people reacting like this why is the media saying that he's a misogynist and that he's a sexist for just laying out the science of sex differences showing that there's variation he he didn't he purposefully and very clearly said i'm not saying to judge people based on this like one trait i'm not saying to reduce people down to one trait or reducing people to their sex. And he, he showed bell curves. He's like, I'm saying there's variation within males and variation within females. And that on the 
uh, farther end of the extremes, you might see differences there on certain traits. And he was trying to explain why there was not 50-50 men, women, uh, coders, basically, or software engineers at Google. And I looked into his claims. I looked into the research that he cited. It all checked out to me. Like I read it, read the peer-reviewed literature. I looked up a lot of the sources and I was like, oh, wow, he's not making any, he's not making any of this up. It's just straight from peer-reviewed science on sex differences. And it was really intriguing to me. So that's when I started hmm. compiling like research because I love synthesizing things. I love learning. I love synthesizing things. I love uh, writing about um, things that I'm interested in. And when it came to that, uh, I actually started writing something in 2017 about that whole James Damore situation and then wrote a review of what I synthesized. So I, I synthesized personality psychology literature. I synthesized uh, uh, biological literature when it came to differences in the brain and the body between males and females and also interests. So social science and looking at how males and females interests are different between like people versus things on average and, and the choices that they make in regards to their careers. And so from there, hmm. I wrote, it was probably like a, it's like a, maybe a 50 page document. <laughs> and I just, I like wrote that in a few weeks. It was just really, I just sat down like I had, I didn't have, I, I wasn't in school then. I was just still summer and I was just, putting all my time into that. And when I get focused on something, I just take it the whole way. <laughs> like when I start something, I just want it. I want to finish it. I want to see what and go through it. And like, and I learned so much because I not only read all that stuff, but also, also wrote it, you know, and, and kind of um, took what I had read and then formed it into this synthesis, this document that synthesized all that. So from there, um, I then took a break from all that. And a few years later, it's like it was the, the fall of 2019. And I felt this calling to write more about this topic. And I wanted to take what I'd written and I wanted to turn it into a book and make it more comprehensive, like expand everything. And so that's what I did. So I, in the fall of 2019, I did a ton of research I made like this two inch thick document binder of uh, just peer reviewed research on sex differences. Um, and then I made an outline and I started from that existing document that I made in 2017, I started uh, making a full length outline and then started just writing. And I, I made, uh, wrote this book, The Gender Paradox. And the whole premise of that was looking at why the countries with the, with the most gender equality or the most equality between the sexes on a legal level, on a social level, why those countries have the most disparities when it comes to people's career choices, when it comes to men and women's career choices and their interests and their personality. So that was the whole premise of that book. And it goes into a lot of detail from conception through adulthood on like development and understanding how those differences may have arisen in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. 
And so. it's, it's all culture's fault, right? There's no biology when you get down to <laughs> it, right? It is definitely not all culture's fault. <laughs> but there's a mix. It's, there's like definitely tons of, tons of biology that impact your personality and how you see the world and uh, the choices that you make in your interests. Um, that's, is, it is heavily influenced by genetics and hormones, but also at the same time, there's the social impacts of um, where you grew up, what family you were raised in, and, and how your parents treated you, how your peers treated you, what you're exposed to growing up, just mm-hmm. all those different things that also influence you. But um, we can't, my whole thing is we can't deny or just ignore the biological component. And I think it's a mistake to, to completely ignore the biological component when it comes to understanding ourselves and understanding others. And it's really helpful, I think. It also, I think when you understand that we're not just products of culture, it also helps protect other people from being molded and shaped in nefarious ways by, by people who believe that they can mold people the way they see fit because we're just all socially constructed, right? We don't have any, any, um, any biological component, like as our foundation. And so we can just mold people in how we see fit. That's, that's the argument that I was really interested in critiquing in that book. It's that blank slate slate view. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I talked a little bit about the philosophy of that there in that book and, and going into like Rousseau and what he believed in regards to what's his, uh, uh, just for sake of he, he believed, or... Yeah. He believed that basically he believed in this idea of the noble savage that, that society has corrupted us. And if we are just able to go back to, um, and just unconstrain these chains from society that we would live in, in harmony, that things would be much more peaceful and, um, he, he's had this very, uh, oh, what's the word? Very, hmm. Idealistic. Idealistic. Yeah. View of, of human nature. I don't think human nature is all good or all bad. I think like people like Solzhenitsyn have said, it's good and evil cuts through the heart of every single human being. And um, we, we are not just good in our nature outside of society. Uh, so that was something that I was really critiquing ultimately was that blank slate view. I, I'm not critiquing at all the idea that, that so that society has impacts on us. It definitely has impacts on us for sure. And it definitely impacts our choices and our interests too. But, but I don't believe that we're just blank slates at all. And so you are delving into this, and it sounds like you're having these uh, intellectual uh, conversations with other thinkers, you know, kind of just you're writing books and you're engaged in this, you know, histories of science or mm-hmm. centuries of science and political thought. And then you start posting it on to Twitter.com. Mm-hmm. Is the, the same kind of uh, intellectual um, strata? engaged there and and what do you what do you find when you start to publish this oh man it's totally it's a totally different experience yeah it's really fascinating like it it's much more enjoyable 
actually and engaging okay yeah yeah then because i've i've found so much meaning in like sharing things with other people sharing what i've learned with people and seeing people's reactions um seeing how like having conversations with people on twitter and threads or just or responses to my posts and uh it it gives me so many new perspectives like for example i never knew that there were so many uh people on the left fighting to protect sex to protect the rights of women uh, in regards to sex and and just standing up for reality when it comes to that and so when i first got on twitter and started posting this in january 2020 i quickly got uh many followers that were gender critical feminists and i didn't know this group existed then and i quickly learned that wow this is this is a very very um strong like intense group of people and they're really really fighting for what's right when it comes to sex and um it was really so just so engaging like finding people with different different uh, belief systems sometimes regarding whether it's theology or whether it's politics there's plenty of of like people like marxists that i met that are you know completely completely in agreement like we have to protect sex as a category and and you could go off just on the the whole political spectrum honestly mm-hmm. and so that was really 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 meaningful to me and i learned so many new perspectives from engaging in that and also you get the fun twitter stuff like just messing around or posting gifts or um memeing. or seeing memeing or seeing people's comments uh also seeing <laughs> people who disagree with you in their comments mm-hmm. uh like like trans activists comments uh very quickly i felt just a barrage from trans activists when i started posting about this stuff um a barrage of basically like the typical arguments that you see sometimes they're actual um they're they they're they're not personal arguments sometimes their arguments are going just like how sex is on a spectrum how sex is a social construct and and they try to give you reasons but other times it's personal you're a transphobe you're a misogynist you yeah. want to you want you don't want trans people to transition you don't want you don't like trans people you hate them all that all that stuff so i experienced that too and it was interesting navigating that um did they yeah. um are there any particular arguments that uh, stand up on the uh tra the radical trans rights activist side um the uh i don't know sex is a spectrum mm-hmm. i guess like where where does the where can their ideology fit into reality? Have you seen it match up in a succinct way? I'd, yeah, I'd say the only the only main place that it might match up. See, there's like there's multiple half truths within hmm. gender ideology. One half truth is that when they say that sex is on a spectrum, and they talk about bimodal distributions and how there's all this variation, it's true that there's all this variation, right? The problem is it's a category error because they're focusing on variation in people's bodies and then conflating that with there being multiple sex categories or there being or or sex being socially constructed. Mm-hmm. And 
it it's what I talked about in my book. Like it's absolutely true that there is so much variation within within men and within women. Mm-hmm. But more more variation within the group than between the groups. Yes. I, I I know that's, that that's a yeah. ethnic uh, comment. Mm-hmm. Well, that, it also yeah. I mean, it it does apply to groups like that, and especially like ethnically, it that's very very true. And then with the sexes, with the sexes, it is also often very true, but it just depends on the trait, right? So you could look mm-hmm. at certain traits where there's less variation, but more variation within males, more variation within females. So for example, with height, um, height overlaps quite a bit between males and females, uh, but you can see there's a ton of variation within males and a ton of variation within females. And so the variation within males and within females is greater than the variation between them. Yeah. 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 So, but other traits, they're, they're separated more, but it just depends. But, but yeah, so that's one argument from the trans activists that has a half truth. It's just that they are, they're misplacing the conclusion. I think they're, they're trying to say that, because all this variation exists, we can't define what male and female are. We can't, we can't really know. It kind of just depends on so many factors and it's all so complex. Hmm. And I was, I, 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 I was toying with that idea. I've had uh, Helen Joyce on, she wrote the book trans. Um, that's what it's called. And uh, there's a subtitle that I can't remember, but, she she breaks it down and Heather and Brett break it down to there's the large gamete, the small gamete. Mm-hmm. And that's sex. That's the definition of mm-hmm. sex. I'm like, well, it is a definition of sex. And also you can go down the XYXX definition of sex, but there's always going to be exceptions to these categories. Even if like mm-hmm. the woman has a large gamete, the man has a small gamete, you can kind of futz around with that and say not every woman has a large gamete. That's not the definition of a, of a woman. Mm-hmm. And in looking at really peering at these categories, they kind of do break down because there's always going to be an exception or a variation that kind of, uh, it doesn't betray the category, but it kind of stands a little to the side of it, mm-hmm. or it kind of like leaves open a question. And, uh, you know, so where do we hang the hat of what a woman is? Where mm-hmm. do we hang the hat of what a man is on a cultural level? Um, mm-hmm. I think that we can go, the biological level but again mm. it's going from like it's just like going from chemistry to biology going from biology to culture it's like it's a kind mm. of a different language what what does a woman mean when if you were to raise a daughter mm-hmm. and you wanted her to you know be successful and be yourself and stuff would you treat her differently than the son that you have and would that be based on just your the emergent way that she just behaves and and then you just attenuate mm-hmm. which i think is the wise thing to do you just kind of uh, I think that's the watch the person to too. Yeah. as an individual but mm-hmm. there's still kind of realities to being a woman in the mm-hmm. world there's realities to being a man in the world and if we want to conduct a healthy society that's productive gets along with itself mm-hmm. and continues to exist we're gonna have to figure out how to train males to deal with their characteristics and women to manage their characteristics too and Mm -hmm. and being uh aware of that and then trying to pass that on culturally like we start to talk Mm -hmm. in a different language than biology Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i don't think that i don't think the biological definition of sex which is what i'm saying when i say the biological definition of sex i mean the male 
A male is the sex that produces small gametes. The female is the sex that produces large gametes. Yeah, I think on a cultural level, like that def- that definition, you can't just reduce everything to that definition because it's a purely biological definition. It's incredibly explanatory when we're trying to describe and categorize uh, animals and other organisms across the plant and animal kingdoms. And even when we're trying to understand the development in humans, we can always look back to that definition as like the, the source and the foundation for uh, people's reproductive anatomy and people's, uh, their reproductive role, you know, being ultimately, ultimately related back to the production of either gamete type. But when it comes to culturally, that's when you cannot really use that definition in all cases like that at all. Like that's not going to help. That's not going to help people understand what a man and woman are on a fundamental, like cultural, more cultural, social, like practical level. Mm. And that's a good way. Yeah. Practicality. What, yeah, what, what, so, is, what is a woman practic- practically? Practically. <laughs> <laughs> what is a woman practically? <laughs> practically speaking. <laughs> and there's well, multiple then, yeah. practical elements to that. Like you have the practical element of just the body that you're in as a woman. And by that, I mean, again, the sex that produces large gametes. And with that, go, you know, comes having a a vagina, a vulva, uterus, cervix, fallopian tubes, ovaries. The um, huge all the things infrastructure that, to take care of the yeah. large gametes, mm-hmm. which includes the hormones, which have a profound effect mm-hmm. on behavior and personality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you got like this whole system that is, we often use the term organized around in the biology circle with, hmm. with Emma Hilton and, and Colin Wright. We often use the term organized around. So we say that... Um, the body is organized around the production of large gametes. And that is useful because we're, we're talking about it from a systems biology level where uh, we're not just reducing things down to one trait, but we're looking at how entire systems interact together for a single function or multiple functions. And when it comes to our reproductive systems, you can't just reduce them down to one trait because they're all integrated. You have your external genitalia, your internal genitalia, your gonads, they all integrate to uh, produce that function of, of producing the gametes from your gonads and then releasing them through your genitalia so they can and, meet up together. And all that system is working in conjunction with the organism that can uh, sustain it in long enough to reproduce. So mm-hmm. like the, the, you know, the, the liver isn't a reproductive organ, but it's part of the mm-hmm. being because the being needs calories, you know, so mm-hmm. the, the whole thing is integrated mm-hmm. like you're saying that's true and then you have your brain which helps kind of like the command center of everything that controls all that basically and no also the hormones and yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah so you that's that's one thing where with definitions um you have to be open to understanding definitions in a more holistic way in more a, a systems way where you're understanding like Oh, this definition, the definition of sex being the, the sexes that produce either gamete type, you have to understand that in like, when you look at the details of a person's body, uh, you have to understand how the, all those systems interact to see how that relates to that definition. Uh, because when it comes to other animals, you know, 
not all animals have, not all males and other animals have penises, for example. Uh, so you have to know how that definition, that broad definition then relates specifically to the organism mm -hmm. and what structures are involved in producing that function. So, so there's that on the biological level. And then on the social level, you have how people treat you in society as a man or woman, uh, how people see you. You have uh, people will, will treat you differently often depending on what body you have, what you look like. Uh, doesn't mean they should. There are certain instances where you should be treated differently for, like, for example, the protection of your rights. Um, women wanting their own spaces. And when it comes to like, let's say sports, it's important to treat men and women differently when it comes to that. But um, at the same time, uh, it's also important to, you know, not treat people differently. Just treat them the same, like you talked about. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's just, it, it, there's a common sense level to this that's completely disrupted by queer theory um, mm -hmm. and the, the postmodernist uh, uh, critical uh, hermeneutic uh, that is trying to upset and dismantle or just reify power structures or only seize power structures. So there's that influence or that the influx of that way of thinking corrodes common sense. But we still need common sense. And I think for most cases, most of us, you know, there are exceptions, uh, kind of act commonsensically around sex. Now, we do need mm -hmm. training in that. Um, and especially with sexuality, um, sexuality is a very strong force in human beings because we are mammals. Mm -hmm. And that force needs to be constrained and that is a cultural matter like how do we train a man to be a gentleman right mm -hmm. how do we you know how do we hew that man who's going to go through all these different changes and have different desires needs and wants broadly speaking to control those constrain those and then also you know contribute mm -hmm. to the society in a way that society can function where everybody gets along and we can reproduce and so mm -hmm. we need that. And so I like that idea. And this is really troublesome water because nobody's going to want me to do this of all people. <laughs> but it, when you say that, that, uh, that principle of organized around the body's organized around the reproductive function or a large part of it is there's also, you know, the digestive system again, mm -hmm. body's organized around that. And the, and this, the body's probably organized around getting the reproductive system and the digestive system to work in homeostasis, you know, so they get along or they don't kill each other because there's mm -hmm. all these different chemicals that could probably do really bad things if they got, you know, if you suddenly had uh, pee actually in your balls, you know, <laughs> something's going be wrong. Right? Yeah, it'd be a bad day. Um, so if we, if we do, and this is what I'm saying when we get into gender debate, it ultimately comes down to, yeah, okay, sex is a real category. It's a very profound real category. Are we, are, are we going to be brave enough to start to organize society around sex? And how do we do that properly? You know, because it's not just going to start, stop or start at the sport or the restroom. There's other things going on. And that's, I think, where mm -hmm. Demore kind of got in trouble because like there's actually gender sex doesn't stop mm -hmm. at the neck. And feminists mm -hmm. have been arguing this for a long time. It's like, no, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're, well, no, mm -hmm. we're really different. And we if we can confront that carefully, mm -hmm. thoughtfully and wisely, we can organize society around sex without making, without reducing all of society to sex. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah, because you should not reduce everything in society down to sex because then you get into discriminatory practices that are not yeah. not good. They, there's value stupid. judgments and yeah. there's yeah, uh, but but sex is a variable that impacts society. It's so important. It's important to understand. And um, I learned like in with puberty, just the un, unreal amount of changes that happen to the brain during puberty that really separate out males and females. Like for example, before puberty, male and female, males and females have brains in terms of their connectivity that are uh, roughly similar, but those sex differences get huge after puberty and through puberty where that exposure to like so much testosterone from the male and then the hormones like estrogen and progesterone from the female really impact the way that the brain kind of uh, is connected in different parts. So for example, males tend to have brains that are more lateralized, which means that their connections run back and forth and not side to side. And then females tend to have, their brains tend to have uh, more connections going between the hemispheres. And so what that produces is things like women being better on average at math and and uh, verbal ability combined, whereas whereas males just being better on average at math, not verbal ability. Mm-hmm. And so when you see that in society and in schooling, you see that there's that performance difference there and on average. And then what happens is it's really interesting. Like you would think that, okay, well that, that means that these, these women would, would be, have this because they're good at both math and verbal ability. They could like go into anything they wanted, any, any career they wanted to do. And yet they tend to on average sort themselves into more people oriented careers, uh, despite their often, um, really good ability at math. Mm -hmm. Still, but like, so, the the quantitative thinking doesn't uh, isn't as valuable to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even that's though right. they can yeah. participate in it, it just doesn't translate into a lifelong value. Mm-hmm. On average, on average, yeah. You always so that, have to say that. On average. I know, right? Because <laughs> well, yeah, because because people are like, but you said that that women are like this and men are like that, but but no, it's like I mean, just a general statement. You know, it's not. It doesn't have to be taken literally, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's like a pattern. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's an example of sex affecting people's choices in society and recognizing that is important, uh, not to stop anybody from doing what they want to do, but actually to maximize people's opportunities to tailor society in ways that, uh, matches more of their, their interests and mm-hmm. the way that they think. And I think ignoring, ignoring that and just thinking that there are no differences between men and women on average in the brain and in interests, I think ignoring that completely means that you're not setting up your society very well for the opportunities of both men and women to excel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking about uh, you know, the, the push to... Uh, the feminist push, the liberal feminist push, and I'm, I have nothing wrong with this, but it's a big thing. It's been like this for decades. 
where we want more women in STEM, we want mm-hmm. more women rock stars. We are going to, you know, inculcate daughters that they can do it. They can be the astronaut and like really push them into those spheres, those male-dominated spheres, and try to like restructure male-dominated spheres in order to be more inclusive to women, which I'm fine with. I don't want sexual harassment. I think everybody should be free from discrimination if they want that. But that all that attention on getting women into male spaces has translated into uh, not really valuing female typical spaces. Like, like what's wrong with wanting to be a, a trad wife? You know, what's wrong? And I'm not saying that women have to do that, but it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't seem like it's equal uh, in, in, at, at the cultural level, at the, the push on a cultural level to just prize and value female typical spaces. And then that doesn't translate into... Like when you look at Sweden, you have the ner- women gravitating towards people jobs, men gravitating towards um, thing jobs. I don't know how their society is structured. I know it's more socialist than us, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that there's more parity between the payout between mm-hmm. the nurses and, and the engineers. Maybe. I don't know. But if we did value the caring jobs more mm-hmm. um, in in perception, that might translate into funding them more. Um, mm-hmm. monetarily or establishing relationships that don't involve government of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of, 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 of an ecology that, that sends monetary value, um, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth between, you know, innovative. Right. Things. Like it keeps so, like an equilibrium or like a balance yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Cause right now, like you said, I definitely agree that it is not balanced when it comes to viewing women's uh, women's interests or propensities on average versus men's. There's this push definitely to for women to be more like men in their interests and in propensities and behavior. And I think that's definitely, it's not, not healthy at all because it's setting up women to, to try to match a, a, a male standard. And I'm not saying the male standard is better. It's just, but it's treated as though it's better. It's treated as though it's better by society. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the feminists reify the patriarchy by saying that women, well, a a certain brand of feminism, Mm -hmm. I think, and there's so many different feminisms, so. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Pardon me, you know. (laughs) You know that now. (laughs) No, I I do. I didn't know that before. (laughs) You didn't know that. I didn't know it either. I didn't know there was like first wave, second wave, third wave, but I didn't know like there was these branches out that were different. Like you got the radical feminists and the gender critical feminists and there's, there's overlap. And then, uh, but then you have the, the. The liberal lib, feminists, yeah. yeah, the lib fems who are more like third wave queer theory types, um, yeah. want to deconstruct everything, yeah, yeah sex yeah. positivity, yeah, yeah. And then you have the Catholic feminists who are like, no, oh. yeah, yeah. I didn't, I haven't learned about them. They're the hot ones, but they're hard to find. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, they're very intellectual. Their brains are, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm kidding. I, I know I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> saying that women are attractive for their minds, but they are. Um, oh, you shouldn't say that. That's just so wrong. No. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so you're you're going in, you're publishing this data, you're learning all this stuff about actual society. So you go from like kind of, mm-hmm. in a sense, you go from the ivory tower of having this intellectual discourse with books and thinkers and stuff into mm-hmm. the streets. And you meet this landscape of all these different groups kind of have, having this battle specifically about sex. Suspe- I, I think it's profound. Mm-hmm. There's something very profound going on underneath this war, this battle mm-hmm. for sex, for the definition of sex. And it seems like 
totally uneven because there's a very, very, very small people who want to disrupt and dismantle the sex category. But it just so happens that they control Biden's government. Like what? <laughs> you know, like there, it yeah. so happens that this this lobby, which is such a t- uh, small percentage, um, has a huge impact. Mm-hmm. It seems like cultural disrupting and I, i'm not saying that anybody's intentionally behind this but it's a it's mm. a it's a moment where our culture is going to have to make some pretty big decisions if we want mm. to well reproduce and if we want to preserve youth mm-hmm. and fertility and that's what's being affected by this so it's pretty profound so you're going from just science into this big question these big cultural forces what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts and how have you been developing on the fly uh to keep your grounding in that uh, my thoughts on, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's just so many layers to it. Like I, yeah, I yeah. think about it so much and, and it's just, it's so complex. It's like, how can we get this society to, to recognize sex as an important category? How can we get people to just not believe in, in all this queer theory and, and these, these minority of activists who are so loud and who have so much power. And then the people in, in power, the politicians just completely, um, like worship them and just count out to them. Cause I think that's where they think that the money is in the power will be is believing in these, uh, in, in the beliefs and value systems of these activists. Well, maybe not, maybe not believing in it, in it themselves, maybe yeah. just, you know, propping them up Opportunity. so that they can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, there's just so many layers to it. And um, I, oh, I uh, really, really, I, when I started posting on Twitter, I had the book out already and I really felt this calling to start making resources for people to be able to use for, for, for people to um, share and help them with their arguments in fighting all this misinformation and all this, all these beliefs around sex and gender in relationship to queer theory and in the trans activists. And so, um, that was the main way that I kind of was able to move maneuver around this sphere because I, I didn't really mm-hmm. get into any thing like lobbying or writing letters to people or, or joining like an activist group or anything. I wanted to create something. I wanted to create a product basically um, that people think, yeah <laughs> leave the people let the people sort it out yeah exactly. typical male <laughs> behavior <laughs> i just get to create things and you guys can use no <laughs> yeah that's true no <laughs> but yeah it was like such a creative outlet for me right so like that's when i started making those videos and these are animated videos about five minutes that talk about sex and gender topics and they're presented in a way they're we're really just the straight facts, here's the facts, and then here's all the peer-reviewed science that backs it up. And the visuals help because these topics are not necessarily, they're simple to a degree, but they're also, they can be easily confused or people can conflate things together. I'm talking about like specifically in regards to sex, uh, people misunderstanding how the sexes are truly defined, people misunderstanding um, what what makes a male and female and and why they're important and and how you cannot change your sex on a biological level so i was trying to give people 
clear information that would be helpful in this. And yeah, that, and that was incredibly fulfilling. Hmm. It was a creative outlet for me. And it was also a way to help other people and get information out there to sort out, help sort out this stuff. Mm -hmm. The, um, I, that's what I naturally ended up doing because I was thrust into being an activist by, you know, witnessing activists and then trying to, you know, combat them. So you have to become an activist yourself. You're like, well, you look at the field of activism, which I'm always like, I don't want to be an activist. Like, and they're batshit crazy, you know, I'm <laughs> French. Um, and not everybody is, but activism in and of itself, it is a, it, it attracts certain personalities and then it attracts yeah. certain ways of mm -hmm. engagement and treating and thinking about mm -hmm. other human beings that I think lead to deleterious states of mm -hmm. consciousness. It can be very dehumanizing. Like yeah. many activists definitely get into that mindset of of viewing everybody else as the out group. Mm -hmm. It's very tribal sometimes. And, and I watched your series on, on um, Evergreen and that really, really showed the activist mindset, like how they think in it. And like the, the, the negative side of the activists, like the taken too far, mm -hmm. what happens when activism is taken too far? What happens when ideology is taken too far and you're just completely blinded you don't see anything else but just your goal and you're going to just demolish everybody else in the way. And that was really illuminating to see how damaging activism can be when it's taken way too far. Well, it be, when, yeah, when it's taken too far, when it loses its footing. And so mm -hmm. what I ended up doing was, well, I have to produce content and then that saves me one from just becoming, uh, somebody's fighting, but I'm just, I'm creating. So I'm, I'm stapling, uh, mm -hmm. my, my attention on something that I can do. And then that's creative in some fashion, whereas there's product. But mm -hmm. what the cool thing about having a product is that I can stand on my products. Like, no, I did the work. You, you want me to do the work? Yeah, I did the work. I'm yeah, doing exactly. the work. So I, like I have a body <laughs> of material. There's, it's, it's more important, I think, than uh, it's, it's, it is more important at this time in history than a PhD. Like, I don't want your PhD. Mm. I don't want what letters you have. I want to see the work. You did the work or you're producing mm -hmm. the work or you're engaging mm -hmm. in something that, that's constructive. So that's the nice thing about having product mm -hmm. out there. I agree. Like you can see that with like, even people who do have PhDs, like Emma Hilton and Colin Wright and like they bring that credibility with their PhD and the knowledge that they have, but then they also back that up with, they cite, they cite sources all the time. They explain biology in incredible amounts of detail to show you that they really know what they're talking about. Yeah. And then they also, on top of that, they produce resources. They do things in the community that actually really help people instead of just staying in academia and doing their own thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's incredibly, incredibly valuable today. I do have to give a shout out to Emma Hilton. Uh, she's fond of Beatles on Twitter. She's a brilliant woman. Uh, she's been on my channel once. I should have her on again as soon as I can. Um, but she's been very, very spicy. At some point, she's like, I'm <laughs> sick of this shit. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. been laying it down. And it's so wonderful. <laughs> she's such a sweet, nice woman. Yeah, it's and hilarious to see her like... go off on people. Oh, my gosh. And she's so sassy. Yeah. It's hilarious. Like, uh, there was one tweet where well, it was something about, um, oh, yeah, she was like, she was talking about uh, how you can how you can tell sex and she was talking about the baboon right the baboon like it's written on a baboon's <laughs> <laughs> how do you know that this is 
Yeah, I'll, I'll have to put that on the screen because I, I had to, I had a comment on that. I was stuck in uh, I was stuck in Montana, and that came out. That gave me a little mm -hmm. bit of respite over my nice my travels. <laughs> it gave you a nice laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so, yeah, that's awesome. So you um, are you done with that particular series? And what are you focusing on currently, um, issues wise or mm -hmm. product wise? So product wise, so I still have my YouTube channel, which is the Paradox Institute. And it's just, that's where I post all the animated videos. And then I'm currently working on a new book, which is just focusing on combating the sex spectrum argument. And it's, it's called Sex Defined. And mm -hmm. then there's a subtitle to it, but I'm working on that. But it's just, it goes, what it does is it takes every single major sex spectrum argument and each chapter is a rebuttal of each major argument. And so you can take something like the uh, stop using phony science to justify transphobia article from scientific American. That will be its own chapter. I can't believe <laughs> how our scientific. I know. American is it's so bad. It's so embarrassing. It's terribly it's really embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. So yeah, I'm doing that. Like I'm, I'm taking those rebutting those articles there's also the sex redefined article by claire ainsworth from nature what's the of course in yeah. nature yeah mm -hmm. and that's where she she looks at a bunch of disorders of sex development inter yeah. classically called intersex conditions she takes all those and then she's like okay guys look at all this complexity at the very bottom she's like you know what we can't really define sex so we should just we should just ask people to see, you know, what sex they are. We should just ask them whatever, you know, however they feel. Like, that's the best determinant of sex. It's basically practically what she says at the end. She's like, gender identity uh, is, the, is the most reliable parameter of sex. Oh. Like, Does she okay. define gender identity? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. No. I think it may have been defined as only like, oh, just how you feel subjectively, like as male or female, something like that. So... So really that whole piece was to uh, deconstruct people's knowledge of what male and female were. So deconstruct people's knowledge of what male and female were. Yeah. And then from there, once that knowledge is destabilized, then she can input her own sociopolitical belief mm -hmm. system mm -hmm. into that. Uh, and that's what you see with, with many people who are postmodern type activists, they say that the truth is relative, but then it's often used as just a, a tool to deconstruct other people's belief systems and then replace them with their own. Mm -hmm. And that's, mm -hmm. that's happening exactly with sex right now. Mm -hmm. People are saying that sex is a social construct, that it's also complex. We don't know how to define it we can't define it accurately because uh, therefore, therefore gender identity gender identity yeah. yes so they have just like these little boxes and then they're moving sex away and they're putting gender identity and like see this never existed this no, <laughs> and they just throw that away i want to i um i never do this uh because i don't think it's good for flow but this is really uh uh important or mm -hmm. timely relevant to what we're talking about. So this is a resource that's being taught in New Jersey schools. I'm just going to read a couple mm -hmm. paragraphs here. Um, and it's designed by advocates for youth 
rights, respect, responsibility. So they're sneaking it through like kind of anti-bullying stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is for two second graders and older. So it's a it's um it's curriculum. So it's a lesson plan. So you you ask uh, it's it's brainwashing. Okay, so first you ask, why should I send this card to a boy baby and this one to a girl baby? Possible response may include, because that one has boy things on it and that one has girl things on it. Blue is for boys, pink is for girls. I like that one better and I'm a boy girl, right? So it starts with this gender category is very Mm -hmm. socially constructed. Does a Mm -hmm. girl have to like dolls? Does a boy have to like trucks, right? And then explain that all of what we just talked about, like deciding what colors or toys people can play with, is part of something called gender. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And then you put the sign with the word gender up on the board or write it if you're using a whiteboard. Ask students to repeat the word with you. Gender. Say something <laughs> like, when we refer to a boy baby or a girl baby, we are talking about what gender the baby is. <laughs> Oh, no. I thought we were supposed to assign a gender. No. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Then ask, how do you know what gender you are? Responses will vary, but may include, my family told me I know because my body parts. I just know it. If a student says something like, I just know it, or I feel that way on the inside, explain that knowing what gender you are is called gender identity. Put the sign that reads gender identity up or write the phrase on the board. Ask students to repeat it with you. Gender identity. Isn't this not cult? Just one more paragraph. This is is the good stuff. Point out (laughs) that the word identity begins with an I. Say something like Mm. identity starts with an I. That's how you can remember it. I feel. I know. Gender identity is that feeling of knowing your gender. You might feel like you were a boy. You might feel like you were a girl. You might feel like you, you're a boy, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you are girl body, body parts. You might feel like you're a girl, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you you are boy body parts. And you might not feel like you're a boy or a girl, but that you're a little bit of both. No matter how you feel, you're perfectly normal. Explain that you're going to do an activity to talk about this more. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's so bad. Oh, and my then, gosh. so this is being taught in schools, and the parents got a hold of this. And then another organization that's uh, fighting for honesty and in, in, in perception of, of schools is saying, no, these parents are a bunch of conservative right-wingers um, who are trying to control uh, and, and stop us from, you know, having an accepting community. Mm, right? I see. Yeah, so they portray it as, oh, we're just trying to be so inclusive and, and and understanding people's feelings and being sweet and compassionate, which is it's a good thing in and of itself, right? But they're not doing that. They are inputting a belief system into these kids in a very specific belief system where it denies who you actually are. It's denying authenticity. It's denying biology. It's saying that you aren't you aren't really a a girl. Uh, little girl, if you feel like, if you feel like in the inside that you're really a boy. Well, the, the, yeah. they, they went from houses and dolls are girl mm-hmm. things. No. <laughs> Vaginas and boobs are girlfriends. No. So they went from like the mm-hmm. stereotypical gender and mm-hmm. denying that to deconstructing the body. Like, no, that's mm-hmm. not a girl part. That's just what society says <laughs> is a girl part. It's like, then what are, what are boys and girls or what are men and women? Right. 
And that's the main, that's the big question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. More than a feeling. That's right. It's a good song too. I don't want to get uh, flagged uh, because Journey hates me singing. Oh, really? I'm kidding. I don't know if it's Journey or Boston. That's Journey, right? Uh, Boston. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is Boston. Boston. Okay. You you are Midwest. You totally know your uh, your Midwest rock songs. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely Midwest and I totally know my rock songs. (laughs) I grew up on like 70s and 80s music. My parents love that. Oh, yeah. And I just, yeah, 70s and 80s classic rock is, is my main music and your power jams sure. the yeah. power jams yeah and i have expanded on that over the years but yeah that's like the the foundation is the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that oh my gosh that is so awful that's like, literally grooming yeah that's grooming. Because, yeah because you're and then you can like i'm yeah. inserting my my girl part into your boy part now right and it's just not just it's just uh you can we can do that at any time doesn't matter no boundaries, whatever. Yeah. It's, um, it is grooming because you're shaping the sexual identities of children. Um, you might not be purposefully like trying to have sex with a child yourself, but, but it's grooming because it's shaping the sexual identities of children, like before they can. And dissociating them and and dissociating them. Yeah. And making them not, Hmm. Detaching their concept of themselves from their body making them try to like trying to make them believe something else or that they have what they really the are. mind is power than can can have power over yeah, the, the body can change even your, over your time body. even over your memory mm-hmm. so you can actually get kids into a, such a protein state where they can just compartmentalize experiences mm-hmm. over time say so that has nothing to do with me that's just an image of me you know it can lead into sexual abuse sex trafficking mm-hmm. um and i've i've explored that with parents seeing that you know teens are getting into you know sex work now um, mm-hmm. and they're completely dissociated from their bodies. I mean, the trans stuff and the sex work stuff is kind of uh piece in a pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand why they just, <laughs> they deny, not just again, they, they don't just deny the, um, the gender differences in terms of behavior and interests on average, but they also then go a step further. They take away any semblance of biological reality completely they act like it does not exist they say that that this girl she feels like a boy and so she is a boy or and vice versa and ironically doing that just reinforces the very stereotypes that they're supposedly against because you're saying that oh this girl likes likes trains or something so she act and she feels like a boy so she's a boy and it's just so it's so disassociating to people's bodies. It's so it is a grooming type type behavior. I mean, you are you are making these kids uh, develop in a way where they're not going to understand their bodies. They're going to be confused about their bodies. Well, they're not going to they're not going to respect their bodies either. I know mm-hmm. that's a kind of a weird tack to take, but if you can just dissociate yourself from your boy parts, then why not just have the doctor take them off? Like there's no respect Mm -hmm. there. There's no respect Mm -hmm. for the function of the reproductive system, Mm -hmm. let alone like the sexual relationship and how, how to conceive of that as like, Mm -hmm. is that a part of a relationship or is that just a biological function that everybody does? And so it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter, you know? Um, But there's a loss of respect of the reality. Uh, And once we stop respecting reality, reality has this tendency to, not give bite a back. <laughs> yeah, right. Back. Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And and um that was just one of the most disturbing things that I 
that I saw with this whole ideology is the fact that it's so directed at children when children can't even understand what sex is. Like they don't understand, like on a, they don't understand what sexual reproduction is. They don't understand what, what uh, being really a male or female is fundamentally until they get older. And it's not right to be inculcating them with these, these belief systems that are completely contrary to reality and their well-being and their psychological health it's so 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 evil honestly um oh my gosh yeah uh hmm. you, you said one word twice mm-hmm. you said you had a calling what, mm-hmm. what does that uh, mean for you how did you know that you were being mm-hmm. called that's a very particular term mm-hmm. to me it just feels like a very very strong desire to do something but on an even deeper level it's also a feeling of peace like this is the right thing to do this is the right thing to do uh, this is beneficial to me and also to other people and it's it's just what is right so I felt a calling to produce information and resources for people to use because I felt I felt there was a need for that a need for resources that were easy to access and simple to understand and backed up with good sources. And, and also just that, that looked nice and visually nice, you know, and then I just felt that really strong uh, calling and I felt that was the right thing to do. And so that's what I've, that's what I've been doing. And uh, I heard rumors, actually I published them on the internet, so they're not rumors anymore. <laughs> Somebody said that you're going to be working with her on a podcast soon at some point. Mm, yeah. You guys still with, have that? And with Cynthia. You plug that? Yeah, with Cynthia. Yeah. Brahini. We're doing, Brahini. Yeah, we're doing um, a podcast called A Cacophony of Tiny Miseries. Mm. And a cacophony means a mixture of discordant sounds. And so every single podcast we're going to be talking about a just an issue in the world okay. politically you're not socially. gonna go through every tone of the, no. of the scale and say this is why it's... we can start every episode with like a different tone <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should have cicadas on there because oh they God, are yeah. a cacophony that's cicadas. true that's a good description of how what cicadas sound like oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah like start out every podcast that's our intro sound yeah cicadas <laughs> like really loud <laughs> yeah. so you guys just gonna do pick up uh just pick up game take a take a topic mm-hmm. and spend the load mm-hmm. out and think through it so our first one that we did we recorded that and that was over uh males competing in female sports and the implications of that and what we did was we started with the science and then we split it halfway to just the social issues surrounding it and the implications uh and so we have like graphics popping up on the screen to show you the different science related elements. And then also the social related elements oh. that we talk about. So it's visually engaging too. Um, this is, this is not a podcast. This is an episode. It's an episode. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a crafted, finely crafted episode. It's been marinating for a while now. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> it takes time to do that stuff. Yeah, it does. Like uh, she's been editing it on premiere. I've been doing a little bit of the graphics uh, getting them together and compiling them. And then, and so, yeah, so we'll be, we'll be posting that fairly soon. And is that, that like capital S O O N T M 
See him? Yeah. <laughs> but also, also, realistically, probably within a few weeks. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you will have to send me the link so that I can put that in the description. And I have to say, even though uh, I know that you're close to Cynthia, so I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. this and maybe you could pass it along. Um, you should slap Mars butt, too. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> she told me about that. <laughs> and uh, she did, actually. She did. did yeah, she did. Mar- Mars told me <laughs> she did. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I His reaction was like, there. why? What was that about? I know. <laughs> But I just have to say that episode with Cynthia is probably (laughs) one of the most profound uh, when she came on and she talked about her stories, just one of the most profound, patient, open hearted um, Mm -hmm. episodes. And and it's not going to get a lot of views because you guys aren't Mm -hmm. known yet. But um, Mm -hmm. she just she she gave my channel and a lot of people such an important, powerful thing. So I just have to plug that that here that that people need to Mm -hmm. go and and see that if you're interested in um, gender, somebody with gender dysphoria and sorting through trauma and abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, She, she does that so kind heartedly. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just, I agree. uh, I think everybody should definitely check that interview out. And it's, it's difficult. I know it's difficult like to talk about those types of things on camera and in front of a a good audience. Like that's not easy to talk about trauma and abuse and dysphoria and all your feelings that way. It's not easy. And, um, yeah, people should, I mean, I, am very proud of what she did It's total respect for that. So, and I watched that whole thing. Excellent. You, you did an excellent job too, just like, like listening and, and asking questions. And I saw somebody made a comment on, um, they were like, I'm a psychotherapist, Benjamin. And, uh, I just want to give you my, like approval or like like my stamp of seal of approval because that was that was exactly what i would have done too she said so yeah you turned that into a compliment about me that's not allowed on my channel you have to be uh. on yours. so um but jack so i just wanted to bring that up that's an excellent episode but you guys are a cute couple uh, so it's great to have actually speak with both of you so I, mm-hmm. I hope that in the future when you guys have your show up and running we can have mm-hmm. both of you on so people we can get a, to do a that. taste of your cacophony mm-hmm. of tiny misery and see yes. how harmonious <laughs> you guys are when you're yes. discussing those kind of things and the chemistry and everything yeah 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 we uh we end every cacophony of tiny miseries with a tiny joy of the day oh okay so we can't are you, you, know, we are can't you guys just sitting there like eating some sort of moose <laughs> like salmon moose <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> like some like little tiny little little treat. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. Drink some little like tea with like a tiny little, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So let's wrap up the episode. Zach, mm-hmm. Elliot? Yes. Two L's or one? I can never mm-hmm. spell that. Two, two L's and two T's. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like That's all a... the way. Yeah. Okay. All the way, Elliot, like full. Okay. Full Elliot. Zach, <laughs> full Elliot. the full Elliot, Elliot. <laughs> Thank you mm-hmm. for your time. Thanks for showing up. And thanks for all the great work you do. I'm going to plug your channel. People should check them out. Your videos are so wonderfully done. I thought you were funded Thank by you. the Coach Brothers, but <laughs> oh it turns God, out really? that you're not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've gotten comments from trans actors being like, uh, what is this, Prager U Jr.? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take that as a compliment because my production values are excellent. <laughs> and it's all in-house. It's phenomenal. It is all in-house, yep. Mm-hmm. So you, say goodbye to the yeah people at home. Yep. Well, thanks guys too for listening and thanks Benjamin for having me on. Absolutely.